Um, so we're going to open up today to Numbers chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. I don't know what page it's on, but it's like the fourth book of the Bible. So you can just kind of flip through a little bit. Um, so, yeah, if you do need a Bible, um, raise your hand. Um, and and we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. But there's going to be a lot of stuff that we cover today. And I hope that you retain all of it. Um, chances are... You won't, but if you can only retain three things, this is what I would love for you to retain. And the first one is face the giants. Number two is know your company. Oh, there's one over here, Brent, to your right. Uh, And trust your God. So can everybody repeat that with me? Face the giants. Know your company. And trust your God. Perfect. Everybody can go home now. Um, so Caleb, who is Caleb? Um, his name actually, uh, shares the, the Hebrew consonants for the word dog. Um, that is not his meaning of his name. His name actually means wholehearted. And this is going to be really important for us as we look at his life and what he, um, was standing for. So Caleb is introduced to us at a, a pretty pivotal moment in the, uh, for the nation of Israel. If you remember, um, if we pull back a little bit and remember what's happened, the nation of Israel has been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And um, at that time, God raises up a deliverer. His name's Moses. um, And he, uh, with the help of God, um, destroys, dismantles all of the pantheon of the Egyptian gods through plagues. And... um, the nation of Israel is freed. They cross the Red Sea. Um, God establishes a covenant with Israel. That's where we get the Ten Commandments and all these other things. Uh, and then God tells Moses that for this nation, there's a special land where he wants that nation to settle. And this land is called the Promised Land. And it's actually a promise all the way back further to the person of Abraham. Um, so now we're in the book of Numbers. Uh, We've just been set free, and we are journeying through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, which is called the land of Canaan. And here is where we meet our our brother Caleb, and uh, right as God gives Moses some instructions in Numbers 13. So grab your Bible. We're going to read the whole chapter. Strap in. And if you're a visual learner, I do have some help from a friend um, called Legos. Um, so if you're a visual learner and you prefer to learn that way, watch the screen. If you're an auditory learner, listen, close your eyes, don't fall asleep. Um, and if you are a visual reader learner, then follow along in the book. So the whole thing, and it's going to be a little long, but hang with me. And I will be reading from a little bit different version called the Tree of Life version. Um, So, Numbers 13. Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, Send some men on your behalf to investigate the land of Canaan, which I am giving to Israel. Each man you are to send will be a prince of the tribe of his fathers, one man from each tribe. So, according to the word of Adonai, Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran. And all the men were princes of Israel. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua son of Zakur, 
From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, that's our boy, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From Manasseh, part of the tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Sushi. Susi. <laughs> it's getting close to lunchtime. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gemali. From Asher, Sethur, son of Michael. From Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vophsi. From Gad, Geuel, the son of Machki. These are the names of the men Moses sent to investigate the land. Now he gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. As he sent them to explore the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there through the Negev, then go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and all the people living there, whether they might be strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land are they living in? Is it good or is it bad? What about the cities in which they are living? Are they unwalled? Do they have fortifications? How is the soil? Fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up, explored the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, the entrance of Hamath. They continued on up through the Negev and came to Hebron. There lived Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached as far as the valley of Eshkol, they cut a single branch with a cluster of grapes. It was carried on a pole between two of them. They also cut some pomegranates and some figs. Now that place was called the valley of Eshkol because the cluster cut of the cluster cut by Israel. They returned from investigating the land after 40 days. They traveled and returned to Moses and Aaron and the entire community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They gave their report to them and the entire assembly. They showed the land's fruit. They gave their account to him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruit. Except the people living in the land are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites are living in the mountains, and the Canaanites are living near the sea along the bank of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should definitely go up and capture the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack these people because they are stronger than we. They spread among Israel a bad report about the land they had explored, saying the land through which we pass to explore devours its residents. All the people we saw there are men of great size. We also saw there the Nephilim. These are the sons of Anak from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. 
And what a story. It's super rich with meaning and teaching. So let's take a breather. That's a lot. Um, What I want to do is uh, just focus first on a couple of details. Um, So if you'd like to take notes, this is helpful for you. Um, The first kind of zoom in is in verse 2 at God's command. Now, when God sends the men to investigate the land of Canaan, he says something really, really specific. He says, go investigate the land which I am giving to you. And it's kind of an interesting command, and uh, it's not coincidental. And kind of put yourself in their shoes. And me, I'd be like, okay, God, let's say God was to give me a guitar. And he's like, Miguel, I want you to spec out this guitar, which I am giving it to you. And I would think like, whoa, it's like basically mine. It's like in my hands, you know. And I think what God's trying to do is like set up the nation of Israel, like tee them up basically, you know, for this like slam dunk. Like, yeah, the land's ours. Um, I am giving it to you. He was reminding them that this was a part of his plan for, from all along. Uh, the next focus point is uh, the 12 leaders. Now, the number is 12 because there's one from each tribe of uh, Israel. But these weren't just like random people. They weren't, uh, they were actually, you know, heads or the ESV version calls it uh, the chiefs. Um, So these were, in my version says princes. These were people who were well known. And these people um, come from uh, the tribes Joshua and Caleb. Uh, They come from two specific tribes. And their names actually, you can't, we can't really see this in the English but in Hebrew, like, they mean something. When they, when, in Hebrew, when you read through the Bible, there's a name. It usually means something. So um, Caleb, like we talked about, means wholehearted. And um, the tribe of Judah, which, where he was from, is reminiscent of when Jesus, in Revelation, talks about the lion of, uh, the tribe of Judah has conquered. So already there's this, like, forward thrust in who Caleb is. Um, now, the tribe of Ephraim, who, whom Joshua was from, um, Ephraim means fruitful. And if we think of the land, um, we think of like the grapes, the clusters, the figs, the pomegranates. Um, there was something there. And Joshua, his name actually means Yahweh is salvation. And it's interesting, too, that his name gets changed from Hosea to Joshua. Hosea means salvation, but Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. So it kind of like, again, thrusts it forward. Um, Next thing we want to focus in on is the fruit of the land. Once again, with the names, um, Eshkol means cluster. So they picked some grapes from this place. Uh, They picked a cluster, and they named the place cluster. So that's basically what happened. Um, uh, Verse 25, one more detail, a couple more details. Um, 40 days, the number 40 in the Bible is generally a number that symbolizes testing. Like if we think of Noah being uh, in the boat for 40 days, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, Later we'll find out the nation of Israel wanders in the wilderness for 40 days. This number 40 is very symbolic and it's rich. So when we think of the spies going into the land, 40 is actually um, something that we should kind of hone in on. And, and as we see, the test is their faith. Um, but there is a bad report that spreads. Um, 
So there's two conflicting reports. The first one is like, the land's amazing, but there are some like crazy giants. And Caleb is on the other side. Um, so once again, going back to names in Hebrew, Nephilim, actually, the giants that, that are mentioned here, uh, it, they mean, it means fallen ones. And it was most likely that they weren't just like huge in size, but fallen, like, you know, in the fallen state, they were probably really wicked. Um, and in fact, God, um, as, as we'll find out later in, in our series, that was part of his plan, was to, to take over this land to kind of get rid of all this wicked people. So um, there's this bad report spread, and it's kind of like a gangrene. It's a fear. It's a hopelessness. So what does all of this mean for us? Like, what does it mean? Um, why should I or we care about the promised land? Um, the only giants that I know of play for the Golden State Warriors, so... <laughs> I thought it was fun. Um, so, so this is happening, and what I want to draw us uh, our attention to is we focused in small. Now let's go back up. So Old Testament and New Testament parallels, and this is super important for how we read the scriptures. So in the Old Testament, uh, the people, the nation of Israel is enslaved, and that's represented through Egypt. And for us, we were also enslaved to sin. Um, the concept of a ruler is seen by, in the Old Testament, by a pharaoh. And for us, it was, it is the devil. Um, the concept of a deliverer, whom Moses uh, represents, is Jesus for us. And the concept of deliverance through the Red Sea is what Jesus has done on the cross um, this testing of sojourning for the nation of Israel is the wilderness, but for us, it's our life here on this earth. Um, the, and this is the most important one, the concept of the promised land, uh, which for the nation of Israel was Canaan, for us is God's rest and his abundance. And if you're more curious about what that is, uh, check out the book of Hebrews, which is very, very uh, insightful on that rest and his abundance. But just how uh, Israel was saved, uh, we too have been saved. But there is more of God's promises for our lives. Um, just how uh, for the nation of Israel, there was this promised land to be entered into. And I believe that God wants our lives to be abundantly filled with his presence, his power, and his peace. Uh, God doesn't simply want us to be saved and remain stagnant. He loves us as we are, that's true. But he also changes us radically as we continue forward toward him. So this promised land is a maturing of followers as, uh, of Jesus. To every day look a little more like Christ. It's not, the promised land is not wealth, uh, it's not money, it's not social status, or even being liked by people. Um, the book of Hebrews, once again, calls it to have rest in God or to have uh, spiritual abundance in him. So what does that practically mean for us? And if you remember at the beginning, there was three things. Uh, and so I want us all to say it. Um, so number one is face the giants. 
Number two, know your company. And number three, trust your God. So number one, face the giants. It's not just a movie. <laughs> um, so we are all going to encounter giants on our journey with God. Um, it's inevitable while we, while we are on this earth. And giants are things or obstacles that are trying to keep us from fully experiencing God's promises. Uh, there are things or obstacles that will try and keep us from that abundant life in him, from that rest. Uh, and I think God really wants us not to be surprised when obstacles come our way. Um, and if we remember the words of Jesus, he said, in this world, you will have trials. And that's going to help us. It's going to aid us for when we do face these giants. Um, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they say false things about you because of me. So if we are truly following Jesus, we will encounter giants. And we can't afford to just ignore them. Um, sometimes these giants uh, are what people say about us, like what Jesus said. Um, sometimes they are the way that we think, our mindset. Sometimes they are lies that we tend to hear. Sometimes these giants can be external things like having to give up comfort, privilege, or autonomy, self-reliance. Sometimes these giants can be overly critical spirits, fear of what other people think about us, negative self-image, anxiety, depression, addictions. Sometimes these giants can be the appearance of circumstances. So I'm going to share a couple giants of my life. Uh, the first one is perfectionism. I struggle with perfectionism. Um, Jackie is laughing because she knows me. Um, it's, it's this whole, like, don't, don't let them see you sweat mentality. Like, oh, no, like, am I showing my weaknesses? Um, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure where it's come from, um, where that giant comes from. It might just be like a weakness, but um, I know that it's a constant struggle for me, and it's definitely it's rooted out of pride. It's like I want to be self-Miguel. I want to be self-reliant. Like I don't need the help of others. I would rather do things on my own because it's weak to show that I have needs, you know? And so that's one giant that I feel like uh, I am facing, that God is helping me face on a daily basis. Another giant for me is the fear of authority. Um, and I have this acronym. It's called Pastoral PTSD. Oh, I mean, I guess the acronym is there. But it's post-traumatic stress disease, disease, disorder. So you have it too then. <laughs> no, it's a fear of authority. And um, this came about because um, in my past, there have been people in authority who have abused my family and my friends. And so throughout time, I was like, oh, man, like anytime I would see any kind of authority, whether it's a cop or a pastor, I mean, even Andrew, like um, it, I would like kind of feel this weird, I don't know, um, like anxiety. And um, I think it's because I was afraid that they would also hurt me. Um, 
And that's something that I've had to walk through with God and with people like Andrew. And, um, but I'm seeing daily the blessing that comes in trusting people and not, not having that fear. Um, so yeah, pastoral PTSD. Um, so I have, I want to ask us like who do we know our own giants in our lives and we can't really afford to ignore them. We have to face them. So on your seat, um, hopefully before you came in, there's a flashcard and a pen. And what we, what I want us to do now is take like 30 seconds, one minute to write down a giant that you feel God is asking you to, to face. Um, it doesn't matter how big that giant is. Uh, it doesn't matter how impossible it might be. Uh, if it is that impossible, chances are it's most likely what God wants you to face. Um, so there's a courageous ur- urgency uh, that we should confront the things that, that haunt us or that cause us fear. Um, and if we wait until we're ready, we're going to do things on our own strength instead of allowing God to exercise that on behalf of us. So just, we'll take 30 seconds here and um, write something down um, that you feel God is speaking to you. So you can keep writing as I talk. Um, we're going to have an extended time of prayer. Um, the prayer team is going to come up front. And during that time, if you're ready to face your giant, uh, I, I encourage you to come and pray with them, ask them to pray for this thing. Or if there's somebody here in our gathering that you feel like you can trust, you feel is accessible, um, somebody, somebody in your home group or a friend, um, just like confide in them and, and pray for each other. Um, so, um, we're going to need help from other people, um, not just God, but from other people. So that's why number two is, um, we have to be in the right company. So know your company. Um, I don't own a company, so I'm not talking about that. Um, but have you heard the, there's this proverb that says bad company corrupts good morals and, Um, Just like facing the giants, um, we can't be unaware of or ignore our company or the people who are near us, the voices that surround us. Um, Because what what happened to Caleb, right? Um, His company, the people around him, they focused on the obstacles over and over again. They focused on that which was negative. They had tunnel vision on the difficult things instead of remembering God's character and his promises, and they were dwelling on everything that was um, difficult. Uh, and just like cancer or disease spreads, this bad report spread among the nation of Israel. And it caused many people to doubt, to fear, to lose hope. So the question for us is, who's in your company? 
do you surround yourself with those who encourage you or with people who are just downers, who discourage your faith? Uh, and this is really important, um, specifically on the good and the bad report that can happen with that company. Because Proverbs, uh, in chapter 18, 21, um, it tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And the book of James kind of takes that and expands it. And it says that even though the tongue is so small, it can easily cause a spark and it could set a whole forest on fire, which is why this picture is up here. Now, James continues to say some pretty strong language about a bad report. And he, he tells us the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So words, good or bad reports, they are important. Um, a couple more verses about words and a good and bad report coming from company. Proverbs twelve twenty five says, worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. And this next one is like my favorite. Um, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. And I think we just have to pause and ask, do we have friends that are reminding you of this good report? Um, and if you don't, surround yourself with them. And pray that God would bring these people in your life. Um, I'm going to share somebody who was awesome company, great company. His name is Josh. Um, that's like in the marina right there. Um, that's not UFO, it's a kite. Um, so um, you could scroll through all those until the last one. These are a couple pictures of Josh, like us hanging out. Put a wig on him. <laughs> yeah, you could just pause there. Thank you, Mel. Um, so Josh is an athlete. He's an artist, and he's a musician. But if you notice his arm, he actually has some physical deformities. This arm is like kind of tied up here. Didn't really develop the muscles or like mobility. He can't do that. This one kind of just lay, lays here and he can swing it. And then his knees are fused together. And I had the privilege of living with this guy for like seven months, I think. Um, but like I said, he was an athlete. He was an artist and he was a musician. He was an athlete. Every, almost every day, he would wake up, 5.30 in the morning, I'd hear him go outside, and he would, he would go running. And then sometimes I'd see him back at like 6.30. Um, I was usually asleep, so probably the next, you know, next couple hours. But sometimes he'd come back with like these bruises and like scrapes and cuts because he would fall. Because like I said, his knees were f fused, but somehow he would just like, he was a champ. He would just go, and he would fall over, and he'd pick himself back up somehow, and he'd, he would do it. Um, he's an artist. He actually works as a graphic designer in San Francisco, and he does art with his feet. Like, uh, I don't know how he does it. It's like a lot of leg lifts, you know, a lot of abs. Um, <laughs> and he's a musician. He, like, sings incredibly. 
Uh, and when, when he sings, it's like just super rich because of the character of his heart, you know. Um, I told him I'd be sharing, so it's all right. Um, my most memorable experience with Josh was when we were driving to L.A. one time, and he said this quote um, that he prays. Um, and he prays of the, there's three prayers, and he prays the third one. He's like, yeah, Miguel, I just feel like my life is, I've done one and two, but like number three is really the one. And here's the quote. He says, the first prayer is this, I am a bow in your hands, Lord. Draw me lest I rot. The second prayer is, do not overdraw me, Lord, for I shall break. And this was Josh's prayer that he shared. Overdraw me, Lord. Who cares if I break? And Josh was like this relentless guy. No tunnel vision for the negative. There's no time to waste. He would help homeless people on the way back from his job. He gave them their time, his time and food. So let's flip it around on us and let's ask, what about us? Are we good company spreading good report or are we bad company spreading bad report? Now, I believe that all of us are good company uh, because of God and his work in our life. So I think that God wants us to be uh, act in that good company. We, he wants us to be the bearer of the good report. And others around you will be encouraged by that faith, non-Christians and Christians. Um, so surround yourself with good company and also become good company to others. So, back to our trusty three. Number one was face the giants. Number two, know your company. And number three is trust your God. Um, now, why can we trust God? Um, and it's, the answer is really simple, because he is trustworthy. And that might sound really silly for us to say, but... Um, I think, unfortunately, society, our culture has robbed what it means to be a trustworthy person, what it means to have faith uh, in something. Because uh, what I hear often is um, faith is like to have nice thoughts toward something. So they're like, yeah, just believe, man. Like, you got this. I believe in you. Like, there's even a song, I Believe I Can Fly. Um, you, no, nobody can fly. Humans can't fly. Um, they can with, yeah, right, yeah, technically with planes and all that stuff. But faith and trust must ultimately, will only be helpful if it's grounded in reality. And in our case, that reality is the person of God. Um, we can't have faith in that which is not real or can't happen. So, Dallas Willard, my boy, has this amazing example. Um, he says, if you're driving in a desert and you see that your gas tank is on empty, you could muster up the faith to believe that maybe you'll get through the whole desert. But chances are that's not going to happen. Now, I believe God can do miracles, but he also gave us the miracle of the mind and the brain, right? Um, now, one more scenario. Um, let's... Like me, you probably need, uh, let's imagine you need dental surgery. So um, you put out an ad in the paper, and you say you're going to give them $1,000 if they can help you. And w person A, we'll call him Ernest, 
uh, Ernest Joe from the street. He's like, yeah, man, I could do it. Like, thousand bucks, I'll do a great job. And he's got no credentials, right? But then a 20-year-old uh, career oral surgeon has, offers his help. Who is more trustworthy in that scenario? And I think the answer is very clear. But faith and trust can only be helpful if it's grounded in reality. So why can we trust God? There are a million reasons, but I'm just going to fo- focus in on three. His character, his care, and his courage. Um, God's character is unwavering. It's unchanging. He will always follow through. He's not moody or fickle like me. Um, and unlike God, people, family systems, media, Facebook, careers, stuff, power, comfort, money, sex, sin, all of those things offer false or fleeting promises. They're always changing. And um, I love this verse in Numbers 23. He says, it says, God is not a man that he should lie or, the, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he not promise and then fulfill? Now, we can trust in, in God's character. And we can also trust in God's care. And I have a picture of my family. Those are, those are my parents. Um, my parents are very imperfect. They are the first to admit that to all of us, to me. Um, but somehow they've shown me this like undeserved love. Um, I don't know why God has allowed me to experience like good parents all in all. I don't think I'm deserving of it more than the other person, you know, any other person. But I think it's in part to, to, so that I ha- would have experienced what his love is as a father. And like the things that my parents do for me are crazy. Like, um, I mean, to, you know, my mom, if I forget like some, you know, underwear and socks in LA when I go to visit them, she's like, oh yeah, I'll mail, mail you a little care package and it's got that and some other nice things. And like, dude, mom, why are you so nice? <laughs> But the point is, like, it's just a glimpse of what the Heavenly Father would do for us, what lengths he would go to love us. And I think God delights in our well-being. Um, he delights in doing good to everyone in this room, to everyone. Um, God is interesting in lavishing you with his Holy Spirit. And, and you, I'll even, I feel like this is bold, but you are a priority to God. And we have a father who delights to love us with all of his heart. And if you don't believe me, you can believe him because he quoted himself in Jeremiah 32, which uh, I put up on the screen. That is just amazing. It says, uh, I will bring them back to this place, the promised land, and I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of the children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. I will take delight in them to do what is good for them. And I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart 
and with all my soul. End quote, God. Isn't that crazy? Like, who, who says that? So we have a father who delights to love us with all of his heart. Our well-being is a priority to him. And how do we know that? Uh, we can trust God because he is relentlessly courageous. He has gone before all of us in the person of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite quotes is, a good king fights on the front lines. And Jesus, the king of kings, he faced his giants. Pain, abuse, neglect, false accusation, vulnerability, shame, nakedness, sin, death, and the devil. And he conquered all of them so that we could become his adopted children forever. There is a spiritual inheritance that is awaiting all of us. And Jesus has made a way for us to experience those abundant riches. Um, Jesus, remember, we, we said, he, one of his promises was, in this world you will have troubles. But he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So face the giants, know your company, trust your God. So we wrote down earlier in our flashcard uh, a giant. And right now we're going to enter into a, a time of response. And I really want to like encourage you to take a courageous stand um, to approach someone who you can pray about these things today. Um, what are some of the promises that God is speaking to you even now? What is something that maybe you've known for a long time that you're just afraid to go in because of the giants? Are you willing to face those giants today? And if so, let's do it together. Let's do it in good company. Let's do it with this, this church. So pray with me. God, we thank you for being our father, and uh, we ask that we might experience what that verse says, where you delight to do good toward us with all your heart and with all of your soul. Help us to experience that today as we step forward and do the things that are seemingly impossible. And we trust that your spirit is speaking to each of us individually. Uh, we know that this is a, a special moment, God. So um, empower us. Give us the will to continue forth. God, we've already been saved. So help us to continue forth. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.